0: Creative Sandbox Way podcast, episode 177. Hello, I am Melissa Dinwiddie, and I believe that life is too short not to express the innate creativity inside of you. So I wrote a book. Called The Creative Sandbox Way, based around 10 guideposts that I developed to get myself out of creative stuck and back to the sense of playful creativity that I naturally had when I was a four year old. That book was just the tip of the iceberg. I continue the conversation each week with this podcast. Let's jump in. Note to self, scheduling a creativity retreat to start one week after coming home from a two and a half week trip to Europe in the week in between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is really, really not to be recommended. (laughs) Yes, it was really hard work. But the retreat itself, my creative sandbox retreat, was really wonderful. It was great. So much so that I was inspired to do something that I have only dreamed about for the past six years of running the retreat. Actually, I've dreamed about it for longer than that. And that is, I scheduled two retreats. For 2019, as in I am going to be leading two creative sandbox retreats next year. Yes, my dream has for a very long time been to lead multiple retreats each year, not just one. And next this year, while I was leading this year's creative sandbox retreat, I decided to just do it. I mean, what am I waiting for? Am I waiting for like a waiting list of, you know, a whole bunch of people? Why? So I just decided to do it. So if you have been wanting to come on a Creative Sandbox retreat with me, but the September date just doesn't work for you, well, now you have two options for 2019. I am leading a winter retreat, which is January 30th through February 3rd, and the late summer fall retreat... I would call it the fall retreat, but it's technically not quite fall yet, because it's September 11th through 15th, 2019. So two retreats. I'm super excited. They're both extremely limited in numbers. I'm intentionally keeping them very small. The winter retreat has a maximum capacity of eight, actually seven plus me, which makes it eight, and it's already half full. And the late summer fall retreat, the September retreat, has a maximum capacity of twelve. Actually, eleven plus me, which makes twelve, and that is already also half full. And if you bring a friend, you each save hundred dollars. And there is early early bird pricing and early bird pricing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you can go to creativesandboxretreat.com for all the details, which will hopefully be up on the page by the time this is published. And if it isn't, by the time you click through, it will be up very soon. Anyway, meanwhile, if you would like to get a taste of what my Creative Sandbox retreats are like before committing to five days and four nights right away, then guess what? You can just come to a Creative Sandbox play day. Now, obviously, if you are not in the San Francisco Bay Area, that might be a little challenging, But if you are in the San Francisco Bay Area, or going to be in the San Francisco Bay Area on Sunday, October 14th or Sunday, November 25th, come on by because the next two are on those dates, Sunday, October 14th and Sunday, November 25th in Palo Alto, California. The next two are actually sponsored by Congregation Etz Chaim, my synagogue. So they are official synagogue events, but they're open to the public and everyone is welcome. And it's just $25 for the whole play day, 10am to 2.30pm. So it's such a steal. So go to Creative creativesandboxplayday.com for all the details and register now. And I hope you can join me. So fun, you get to come and I do a creative catalyzing session at the start of the day. And then it's structured creative sandbox playtime where you can work on your creative project or play with my art supplies or play with your own art supplies or write or whatever it is you want to do for the day. It's really amazing. So anyway, hope you can join me. And now let's jump into my conversation with culture and storytelling expert, Mike Ganino. Mike Ganino is a culture and storytelling expert who helps executives, teams, and thought leaders communicate, connect, connect, and engage. Engage with what? I'm not exactly sure, but we will get to that presumably. He is the author of Company Culture for Dummies and has been named a top 30 culture speaker by Global Guru. I don't know who Global Guru is or are, but I will get to that too. Organizations love Mike's high energy high-engaging workshops and keynotes that fire them up to rewrite the stories happening in their culture. They leave with real-life strategies they can begin implementing immediately for improved culture that drives employee and customer experience. And if you could see Mike, You could tell right away, even though he's just sitting, you could tell that his keynotes are high energy just looking at his hair, because his hair sticks straight up. (laughs) So welcome, Mike. Thank you. Thank you for
1: having me. And thank you for that lovely bio. I mean, where did you even get that bio? I well, always think it's funny when people come on shows and obviously, you know, I had to write that and send it. <laughs> and so uh, it's uh, one very fun delivery. It was new and different uh, coming from you. So thank you.
0: Well, you're very welcome. I, and I have some questions about your bio. So, okay. So who is Global Guru?
1: Yeah, so Global Guru is this, uh, is this website that has like the, it has top 30 rankings in all these different areas. So there's um, organizational culture, there's communication, there's leadership, there's change management, and they basically just have this annual running list of like, who are the top 30 people you should be paying attention to in each of those areas. So this year, I was named in the top 34 culture
0: folks. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. So did you have to submit anything or they're just, they're just out there like spidering around and, and looking for people?
1: No, I didn't submit anything. I randomly got a, a message that said, hey, we listed you here. And so I went to look and I was like, what is this? Who put me where? You know? And I thought it was one of those like who's who's thing that you got in high school where you had to pay. Yeah, and be like, yeah. yeah. For us to, you've been listed, but to actually show up on the website, you have to pay <laughs> $500. Uh, but that wasn't the case. I was actually there on the website and there's a link to the book. And I don't know if people had to vote or how it works because there was like scores. We were all scored. Oh. And yeah, so I don't know. It was like there was like a, a level. It was funny. There's like a thing that says like content and inspiration. And there was like a bar that people would give you like, are you more content driven and more inspirational? And apparently I was inspirational to whoever the voting party was. So I don't know. But exactly. whoever whoever it was, it was... Uh, it was Uh, an honor
0: that's really cool i apropos of nothing except getting named something i was named i think it was last year a top and i don't remember what it was what the number was because i don't retain numbers very well but a top something doodle blog (laughs) i mean who knew there was such a thing but i I am i am a top like a top 10 or top 100 or something again like it makes a difference i suppose but a top something doodle blog there you go
1: you are the top number one doodle blog in my blog history
0: and i'm now gonna put that in my bio (laughs) named top number one doodle blog by (laughs) by top 30 culture speaker mike ganino
1: i love it i love it (laughs)
0: So uh, the other question that I have for you, Mike, and this is where we can get into your story is how did you get into, how did you become a a culture guy? Like you, you wrote, okay. So first of all, I have to say this book that you wrote company, culture for dummies. And, you know, by saying that I read it now, now I'm defining myself as a dummy. Right. I I read this book. It's amazing. It's, It's this really comprehensive book about how to create an awesome company culture and if you are like me I'm a company at the moment of essentially one and you know one and some collaborators and I'd like to grow a little bigger than that my husband works for a, a very large company that just merged with an even larger company so I get a little bit of a perspective on that because I'm married to somebody who works in corporate and his company that the company that just bought the company that he works for is known for being like the, t- the seventh best culture in the U S. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So I get a, a, you know, a little, a little bit of perspective on that. So reading your book, I can say that from hearing from my husband and from my own perspective as a teeny, teeny, tiny little, you know, little company. Your book is amazing. And you cover so many different aspects of culture, everything from mission and values to hiring to, I mean, you name it, you cover it. So, I mean, you truly are an expert in this stuff. How did you become such an expert? It's not like you're a grizzled old guy.
1: (laughs) I, um, well, thank you for that. First of all, it's, uh, you know, I was excited about the the opportunity to do one of the books in the dummy series because, you know, just by the the style of the book, you, you kind of have to write a, a how-to book. It's supposed to be a reference book and it's supposed to be that like, hey, if you need some ideas for for hiring, for example, or how to use your culture to attract people, there's a whole chapter on that of like, how do you put right. your culture out there to attract great people to your company to work with you? it's supposed to be a book where you can just go to that chapter and get something. So it doesn't reference a lot of like other chapters necessarily. It's really like each piece has to stand on its own collectively. It's great, but individually they have to work. And so I was kind of excited that my, my first book was this one because it gave me a chance to like get all of my how to's out for me to really think about like, what do I think about this? There's not a lot of like theory and it's definitely not me, you know, from, from reading it, it's not me telling you what kind of culture you should have. If you want to have a formal one, that's okay. If you want to have a laid back one, that's okay. Whatever the case is, it's totally fine. It's saying whatever you want to do, this is what to do with it. And so I'm, I'm really happy you said that because that's one of the things I'm really proud of is that I think you can grab this book and wherever you are in the culture scope, you can get something from it. And, you know, how I got to this place is, you know, forever I was working in, for my whole life, I worked in the hospitality industry. So restaurant, hotel, tourism, travel, airlines. And one of the things I remember, I was a trainer. I was like a 24-year-old trainer at a place called Potbelly Sandwich Shop. And at the time we had, you know, I don't know, 30, 40 restaurants. I started when there were only seven, stayed through till about 200 for seven years, was running the kind of corporate university side of things at the end. But in my work there, I had to travel from location to location and visit different restaurants and check in on their training or certify some other people. And what I started to realize is even though we had the same values and mission, even though we had the same service, I mean, it's, it's a chain of the same exact, they all kind of look the same, you know, different angle from the different angle in the sun, but essentially the same layout, same service philosophy, same everything, every location felt different. And I got really curious. I said, well, why is that? If why is one location so great and one not? And the one that's not so great, is it because of the actual physical location or is there something else going on there? And it got me really curious about, well, why is that? And, and what makes that difference? And I started realizing, oh, it's the specific culture in that restaurant. And that culture is, of course, driven by leaders, but it's also driven by the people inside of the restaurant. And the, the leadership from all sides, not just the head of that restaurant, but lower. And so then I started looking at it. I was working in the corporate office then too. And I started looking at different teams in the office. And I said, oh, it's interesting when you watch the marketing team work versus the sales team versus this team. And I saw the same thing where each one had its own little interesting culture. So it got me super geeked out about understanding group dynamics. And at the same time, I was studying and performing improv in Chicago at Second City and Improv Olympic and everywhere. And so I started to notice the same thing on different improv troops. Oh, they each have their own vibe. There's like something that says, you'd be good with this group, but you wouldn't be good with this group. And I was like, well, what is that? And that just got me super curious about culture and what creates it and what you do. And I mean, ultimately, I think when you read this whole book, my thesis is it all comes down to relationships and communication.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So interesting. And you know, as an improviser myself and having taken classes from... The two main improv schools in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, which are bats, improv, and comedy sports. Two iconic
1: ones, by the way. It's like two great places to have studied.
0: Absolutely iconic. And the cultures are really different. And the, the styles of teaching are different. And as you said, the cultures are different. And it really does come down to relationships and communication. What a great thesis.
1: Yeah, it really is kind of the the thing that that happens, and and that's why, like for this book specifically, so many of the chapters talk about like what is the relationship you have, and you know when you flipped it open a little bit ago and we were chatting before we started uh started recording here, uh, it was to a page on a chapter around how managing yourself, and so I think even a relationship and the way we communicate with ourselves impacts culture.
0: Oh my gosh, that is so true, and that's something that we. We've got uh, some people in the live studio audience here from my creative sandbox community. And of course we have a culture here in the creative sandbox community. And which is of course, based on our relationships and the communication. And I've done a lot of work to establish that culture from the policies that are written down in our uh, member handbook and the the onboarding that I do when members join the community and the, the way that we talk about how we talk to each other and how we talk to ourselves. That's, that's something that I talk about a lot. One of the things I talk about is self-compassion. My golden formula is self-awareness plus self-compassion equals the key to everything good. So that's part of our culture here in the creative sandbox community. Which is really different from, you know, I don't know, the community down the, inter- the uh, proverbial internet block or whatever. Down the internet. <laughs> down the internet, where people might be like self flagellating, right? Yeah. So it would be a totally different culture.
1: Yeah. Well, you can even see that too, like in Facebook groups and stuff, right? We're all in different Facebook groups, and there's like very specific cultures in those different groups of like, what do you share? How do you share? How much do you comment? Like, it's, it's, uh, yeah. it's everywhere. It really is everywhere.
0: Yeah, it's so fascinating. You were even talking somewhere in the book about uh, how California has its own sort of California culture, but the difference between say San Francisco and you didn't say Silicon Valley, but San Francisco, Silicon Valley, the wine country, Napa versus Sonoma, you know the the vibes are so different, the cultures are so different, right?
1: Yeah yeah and it's it 's so interesting too because like when you think about you know it's it's you you could get like super trippy. I imagine if there was like some inter intergalactical thing, the culture of Earth would be different than the culture of Saturn, but then on earth it 's very easy when you say okay well if i 'm from the u s versus japan when we all you know when when we all go to to japan as as folks from the u s and the folks uh here on the on the call with us today in the studio audience when we go to Japan they look at us and it's like, oh, you're from the US. It's like very clear that we're from there. And then, but we could feel very different if someone's from the South versus California. And then we might feel very different, someone from LA versus versus uh, San Francisco. And so there's like, there's these things that collectively make us who we are. And then it goes down all the way to like the family level, right? right. And like, that's then the smallest little bit of that. And so it's really interesting to think about how that plays out. It was funny, I was just talking to someone yesterday and they were saying that they went on a, uh, she's a friend of mine who was in South Korea, her husband's in the, in the, um, armed forces. So she went to visit him cause he's been there for a while. And she said, what was funny is when people would ask like, where are you from? And she would say, you know, she's originally from Chicago that most people didn't know where that was. She would say, Oh, Chicago. And they're like, Oh, um, uh, and then she would say, but I live in Los Angeles now. And they're like, Oh, Los Angeles. Yeah. 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 I know Los <laughs> Angeles. But she would even say when she said California, that it would be like, Oh, uh, Where's that? <laughs> you would say LA and they'd be like, oh yeah, LA, yeah. Movie stars, you know, like, and it's like, yeah, all of LA is Hollywood essentially.
0: <laughs> that's so funny. Angie just typed in the text chat, Melissa, you model the behaviors, which I believe is the biggest piece. Thank you. And that is very true. And that really comes down, like any culture, that's that's a big piece of leadership, right? And if you look at any company, If we're talking about company culture, that's one of the big things that company founders, company leaders, they model, like people are watching what they're doing. And that makes me think of a story from, I think it was, who's the Facebook, the woman, the Facebook?
1: Cheryl Sandberg.
0: Cheryl Sandberg. She was telling a story about how she doesn't like using, I think it was like, she doesn't like using PowerPoint. Mm. And so she made a statement. She was it, she was just giving some kind of talk or something. It was at some meeting that, where a lot of people in the company were present. And she mentioned she doesn't like PowerPoint. And so everybody in the company stopped using PowerPoint. <laughs> and, and it was just like this offhand remark that she had made that she... She and she meant that she personally hates PowerPoint, but she did not mean everybody stop using PowerPoint. PowerPoint is an <laughs> important tool for presentations that they need to use in order to get points across to their you know, suppliers or vendors or whoever sure. they were doing, right? And so she had to get up in front of like everybody make, you know, or make a memo, or I don't remember what the exact story was, in order to say, You have to use PowerPoint. I mean, use it (laughs) properly, right? But you have to don't stop using PowerPoint just because I personally don't like it. But everybody was watching her, and they took this offhand remark, and just like ran with it because they're you know they're they're watching.
1: Well, it's so funny. Like one of the things you know, I do I do a lot of work with organizations, and a lot of my like uh, workshops and things are around what stories are living inside of an organization. And there's so many people out there doing storytelling right now. I have like this little bit of a personal like uh, beef with like all the storytelling stuff because it became a popular buzzword. And then everyone is a storytelling person now. And it's like, everyone's running around teaching people how to communicate about their tech product using the hero's journey. And I, I don't know, I roll my eyes a little bit. There's a lot of people doing good work in there. So I'm not gonna say that it isn't all good. But I think there's something much more fundamental and uh, powerful about the use of stories. And, and I think that's how they apply inside of companies. So the, the real thing that I look at, like that example of, of Cheryl at Facebook, I call her Cheryl because, you know, we're good friends and all. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, the thing there is that the, the employees that heard that then created a story in their head. Right. based on an experience they had with her. So an experience led them to tell a specific story. That story, if it's just one person telling it, a lot of times the culture will, will uh, disprove it or say, well, actually, no, 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 no. Let's change your story. It's not true. Or the culture will reject that person's story and it won't become a thing. However, a collective of stories, a shared group of stories, as like somebody like Cheryl saying, you know, PowerPoint's the worst. A lot of people then build the story. Oh, she hates it. Everyone's running around doing it. That then becomes culture. Right. So stories are ultimately what culture is. I think experiences lead to stories. Stories collected, curated, and shared over time start to create culture. The same way that in toxic cultures, if we have a culture where people are rude and and abrupt to each other, it is based on stories that they've all said of, you've got to fight and be angry to get your point across or no one listens to you around here. Great, if that's the story we're telling, then the culture's there. So there's this really fun thing I do a lot with, with companies to say, let's not worry about your culture at all right now. What are some of the stories your people are telling? And we'll go on this like story hunt a little bit of like, what, what do they say about leaders? What do they say about meetings? What do they say about this? Then we look at those and say, okay, based on these, how are they impacting culture? And if you want to change them, it's about looking and saying, well, what experiences led to those stories? And so it's a really kind of fun thing. And so again, with this Sheryl Sandberg example, she said in off, if she had said that to one person in a room. It wouldn't have become a cultural phenomenon there. It would have, the rest of the culture would have said, well, actually, I've never seen her yell at anyone for PowerPoint, so uh, I don't care. She probably made it as a public statement. So then everyone was like, ooh, I heard that story too. I heard that story too. And it became culture.
0: Right. Yeah, such a great point.
1: The same way that, that what Angie was saying, Angie's one of our, our studio audience members today. This is fun to be able to say that on a show. And <laughs> what she was saying about the way that you lead and create clear oh, examples exactly. of what great yeah. looks like for them, that then gives everybody stories of, oh yeah, that one time this happened, somebody, was, somebody did something in the group and Melissa did this to handle it. Oh, now I have a story about Melissa, a story about who we are as a group. That then becomes culture.
0: Yes, exactly. Well, one of the things that I know that you do to help companies create the cultures that they want is you bring improv in and which is one of the tools that I use in my consultancy as well. So let's talk about using improv at work and using improv and play to create a positive culture. Can you share how, how you do that?
1: Yeah, it's really, it was funny when I wrote the original, like, like, kind of, I always call it the, like, bloated table of contents for the book. So I had to write, like, what were the chapters, but I had to go in and say, like, what are the, what are the main headlines? What are the subtitles in each of the chapters? And I remember when I first turned it in, they said, "Uh, what is this chapter on improvisation in here? Because there's a whole chapter on improvisation in Company Culture for Dummies. And so like, "Uh, huh? What? What is that about? I was like, no, no, it, it, it matters. It's important. So my approach to using improv is usually around this storytelling idea. So we'll say, let's go in and let's, let's use improv to kind of pull stories out from the group. And then let's play those out. So we'll do little scenes based on the initiations from stories we've heard and say, okay, well, we heard that um, meetings around here are a waste of time. Let's see it in action. What does it look like? Okay. And then we'll do the same thing to say, well, what would it look like if meetings were more effective? Let's see a scene of what that looks like. Uh, we'll do the same thing with, with teaching, uh, leadership communication skills of saying, well, let's see like a really horrible way to communicate change to people. And it always goes to the extreme, which is why improv is so fun. It allows you to play at this level 10 that you would never do. So you end up hearing leaders who are standing in front of the room who are like, we're doing it my way. And this is going on and this is going on. And I'll say, okay, now, now drop it down and play it real. What does that really look like? And you'll see the faces in the audience of the other people in the group. be like, oh my God, I do that. I do the <laughs> thing that they just said is the bad example. Because the first example, everyone laughs at because it's like, ah, ha, ha. who would stand in front of all the employees and yell and call them idiots? That's so extreme. And then I say, well, drop it down to how it really looks when it's bad. And then in that part, people start to feel like, oh my gosh, I think she's talking about me. And then we do some scenes on what would it look like if it was going well? and now we have some real ideas for how to create change so i use it a lot like that
0: that's really cool it's super fun yeah
1: what how about on your side of things how are you pulling improv into the work you do most often
0: it's more in terms of like doing some kind of activity and then that might be might seem like completely unrelated to whatever whatever we're doing uh, like a like a mirroring activity or something and then saying, you know, what just happened? Mm. Why do you think that happened? How does this relate to your work? And then watching them connect the dots. And they often surprise me. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, it's amazing. They And they <laughs> always find ways that that it connects. I love that.
1: Yeah. Is, isn't that funny? Sometimes I find that with... Um... I do a lot of like storytelling work with public speakers as well helping them with their speeches and helping leaders speak in front of bigger audiences and it's funny when you do some of those exercises those improv exercises and you do the debrief and you say what did that what did that mean to you and then they say something and they're like
0: oh yeah that's good i like that
1: you <laughs> I, know know what I mean i kind of write it down to be like oh all right i'm going to use that next time <laughs> <laughs> right. i love that
0: yeah the debrief is really powerful yeah and that's i mean that's what makes it applied right is totally brief. Yeah. Well, who are the kinds of people who come to you now for who, who hires you? Who hires me?
1: A couple of, a couple of things, right? So I've got the, I've got the like keynote speech kind of big message stuff. So that happens at associations and that happens at big groups that are getting their managers together often. So it's their annual conference and they're bringing in three or 400 of their sales managers for a big event and they, they need like a big topic for that. And so I'll do that kind of keynote style talking about um, a lot of times talking about how culture is impacted by the stories that leaders fuel. And so we'll go through that kind of idea. Because uh, it's kind of new for people to think about, oh, wait a second, what story am I giving my employees to tell about me? And it's when you think about it that way, it's like, oh, wait a second, I might change some stuff I'm doing then. And so, so those are bigger groups, right? And then on the workshop side, it's a lot of, you know, kind of the clear through line here is a lot of like service oriented. So people who have products that are getting to consumers, people where the impact of culture, there's a very clear line to like, I get how this is impacting our customers, like our culture not being uh, communicative and clear and strong is impacting our ability to serve our customers. So I tend to do a lot of work in the um, tech space because of that. Um, they also, you know, it's kind of a, a thing that that's in that people expect those places to be great cultures. Um, but then a lot of times in, you know, kind of back to my roots in that service industry, working with restaurants, hotels, tourism groups, travel travel groups, to think about how does what we do inside. Impact the outside too, and so I always think that you know, customer experience is an inside job. It starts with the culture of your team, and then it goes out to them. So there's a really, it's easy for people to like uh, to get the value of it because it's you know like with you and and you and I talked about this. We were at a conference together, an improv based conference last year. And we talked about this a little bit about how I did a presentation there, and it was largely about how no one really comes to us to say, hey, my improv's been hurting. Can you come in and work on it a little bit? And the same thing happens with culture a little bit. Sometimes people will come in because they'll be like, I think we need to work on culture, um, but I don't really know what that means or what it is. And so defining it in these other specific outcomes is very helpful. So people that are struggling with customer experience, people that are struggling with innovation, with turnover issues, with infighting with their teams, people that have a lot of first-time managers. I do a lot of work in that group around how to help them figure out how to create stories for their employees. Um, yeah. And then, and then on the individual side, on the individual coaching side, I work a lot with leaders who want to be better communicators.
0: Cool. Yeah. And it all started back in restaurants.
1: It all started as a little dishwasher at 15 years old at Pizza Hut in the small little desert town I grew up in. I
0: love it. Yeah. How did did you get into from, from dishwasher to trainer?
1: So, from Tish, that should be the name of my second book, From Dishwasher to Trainer. Um, Stories from the Edge. um, So, so I was working uh, in high school at a Pizza Hut, and my, my whole family ended up working there together. And then I went to college. I left college to be an actor, which is how I found improv because I was trying to do kind of legit theater, but I looked at 19, I looked like a little baby, but I was too tall to play a baby. And so I should have, I should have come to LA then because I could have played like a teenager on a, on a high school show. And I would have looked perfect for that. And I don't or something, but I was trying to do like legit stage theater, but I didn't, uh, I couldn't fit in anywhere. And, or maybe I just wasn't a good actor. We could could say that. And so I found improv because I was like, oh, sweet. I can be anything I want on an improv stage. I could be an old lady. I could be a a mule. I could be anything. And so that got me into that world. And uh, like everybody, uh, like not everybody, like many people who uh, chase the arts in that way, I wound up working back in restaurants (laughs) to pay the bills and, um, and that eventually led me to, I really wanted to travel. You know, I was I was auditioning to be on cruise ships a lot, to be one of the the performers on a cruise ship. And so my grandma finally said like, hey, that's not really working out for you uh, in the best grandma way possible, you know, like the real advice. And she said, you know, maybe you should think about being a flight attendant because, you know, she's like, I always thought that would be fun. And it's, you know, it's, it's a little bit, you might have time, you'll have a, a lighter schedule. You can be more, um, flexible with your schedule and maybe you'll still have time to do all the other stuff you want. And so I said, okay, that sounds cool. So I became a flight attendant and that moved me to Chicago. And that's how I ended up in Chicago and I did that for about a year and then 9/11 happened. Oh. And with 9/11, I was I was, you know, so low on the totem pole that when they started furloughing and laying off people, I was at the bottom of the list. Of seniority. And it was a flight attendant jobs are union. So it's all based on seniority. So I didn't have a job anymore. And I thought, wow, I'm, I'm 21 years old. I live in Chicago. I have rent. Um, I'm type one diabetic. So I also have like medical supplies. I need insurance. Like I'm an adult. I'm a grown person now. There is no one who's going to come here and save me. What do I do? I ended up back in restaurants because it's the one thing I knew how to do. And that's when I landed at Potbelly as an assistant manager. And it was kind of like right time, right place. They were growing. And I just said, you know what, I'm going to do everything I can to be helpful here. And I ended up moving from that into training and then into running our corporate, uh, corporate training department, running our um, corporate university eventually. And then that kind of just led to you know, the next few places I went. And I finally ended up at a, as a chief operating officer and a partner in a group called protein bar and kitchen. And I took that from, you know, we took it from like a one location to about 20 and, uh, and then met a private equity firm who wanted to get involved. And so we did that. And then I said, okay, what's next? And, uh, and then that's how I landed here. That was about um, four years ago now.
0: Wow. That's quite a ride. A little bit of a journey, yeah.
1: And it wasn't, you know, it's funny, it wasn't until I was leaving uh, leaving Protein Bar and I said, okay, well, what do I do now when I could do anything I want? I've got the time, I've got the the funds, I've got the flexibility to do whatever I want. And I just kept going back to, there's all this like really interesting stuff that we did in improv to create great, you know, great groups and great relationships. And gosh, we need more of that in the corporate world. And I just started seeing if I could make it work. And so far, so good.
0: So had you connected with other people who were, all, who were already doing improv in corporate?
1: No, the only person, and it was so great. I had this like epic, like meet your hero moment last year, which for me was it worked out. It wasn't one of those disappointing ones where you meet them and they're <laughs> total jerks. I met her and she was as lovely and amazing as I thought she would be. And so last year, uh, or so I had read uh, "Training to Imagine" by Yeah. Catherine. I was
0: going to ask if it on was the t- show. Yeah, I was going to ask the
1: I listened yeah. to that episode. I was prepping. <laughs> I was getting ready for the show. Um, and so I had read that book and I thought, yeah, that's. I want to do something with that. But I'm 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 specifically really interested in how the way we communicate you know, I really love communication. I really love how we communicate and, and what are we communicating because we're always communicating. We can't not communicate. Right. It's impossible. Right. Everything is communicating. So how can we be more intentional? I've always been interested in that angle. And so I thought, because I initially saw that Kat wrote Training to Imagine and watched what she was doing and thought, well, they have got her. Why do they need me? And I thought, oh, I have a different take on this, though. I have a slightly different angle on this. Uh, and I didn't know, I was so naive. I didn't know that people like did this. I didn't know that people got paid to speak. I thought they were just famous people, like famous authors who got paid to speak. I didn't realize that was a thing. And I didn't realize like you could do workshops unless you were like Franklin Covey group or something. I didn't know that that existed. And so it was, I went back to kind of Cat it and said, okay, wait a second, she's doing something cool here. And kind of figured out what's my space in this? Where do I fall into this world? And I'd always kind of been the culture guy and I've always really loved communication. And so I thought maybe that's my neat angle. But last year at that conference that you and I were at together, the Applied Improvisation Network Conference, I got to meet Kat. And, uh, and it was so funny because we were chatting. And then after after we were in this little group together, she's like, oh, I'd love to connect with you because I love some of the stuff you're doing. I'd love to learn from you. And I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm going to die. Like Kat Coppett even knows my name and she wants to talk to me. And uh, and since then we've, you know, we've we've chatted a couple times and message and uh, supporting supporting each other and it was a real it was a real cool moment.
0: That is so amazing. Yeah, I met Cat at that same conference and also was like, "Oh my god, she's so Nice and friendly and she's real. She's real and she grew up in the same city that I grew up in. Oh really? Yeah. She went to the high school down the street from the high school that I went to. And <laughs> yeah, that was kind of amazing.
1: Yeah, she's she's pretty special. She is a she is a national treasure, if you will.
0: I totally agree. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's really cool. So you kind of just fairly recently started bringing improv and and all this stuff into your work
1: yeah I had you know in the uh when I was when I was running I was the head of operations for one group and we always would do I would always bring some of the stuff I had learned through my years at second city and improv olympic and and the annoyance other places I would bring ideas for like hey we're trying to get everyone warmed up for a training day what's a good way to do that and you know we kind of I was kind of known in, in the little Chicago restaurant niche as being like a really creative trainer because I always brought like improv ideas in, you know? And so I had always used it in that way, but I never really thought about it at a higher level until after I left. And so, yeah, me using it in like a very specific applied way is, you know, three or four years old now. Wow.
0: That's really cool. So I'm curious, do you have any favorite stories from this You know, relatively new, bringing improv into your work?
1: Yeah, you know what's funny is uh, we do, you know, folks like you and I, Melissa, we, we get to bring new ideas to people often. And so there's so often that we have somebody do something and they say, oh my gosh, that was really new and interesting. And we help people open up their minds and, and release judgment. And I, I did an event not that long ago where I'd spoke at their national conference and then one of the groups said, hey, we want you to come in and work with our team. And it was for a group of... Um it was fairs, like county fairs, like states and county fairs. I spoke. They have a national convention, by the way, and then regional conventions, international convention. It's been great. I'm actually doing the keynote next year at their big event in January. I'll be the keynote speaker. I was one of the breakout speakers this year, and then they said, ah, we want you to do the, the keynote. So that was really cool. But one of the groups that was there said, we want you to come up and work with our folks. So when you think about people that are working at the fair, and it's 365 all year long because they do events. Um, cause here in California, we have the weather that they can do, you know, parties and stuff all year long outside. And so the fair season is, you know, a month long, but then there's all this, this event space. So they have about 50 employees. And so when I first thought fair people, I was like, oh, cool. It's a bunch of like fun, loving fair people. And then I started thinking of like, wait a second, we started doing our, our calls to get ready. And I was, you know, talking to them and learning who are we going to be working with? And I realized like, oh, this is different audience for me it was a lot of uh, mechanics who keep things running. You know, there's like a train that moves around the park and stuff. It's people who are managing a farm, essentially, right? Because it's outdoor space. It was, they have plumbers and electricians and builders who are building spec event spaces for these different types of parties. And, you know, for me, and, and, and probably for you, Melissa, I'm used, to, I'm used to working with lots of different types of folks, but it's usually like Roughly people who might be in an office and might be in certain kinds of environments. And even when I work in the hospitality space, it's, you know, with people in restaurants or hotels or something. So I started getting really nervous about like, wait a second, is my stuff going to work with these guys? Like, is my stuff going to work with the guy who's like 30 years in as a mechanic? Like, I had never done that. You know, it's like I've I've done events for like rental car company, but it was like the office managers, not the the folks doing it. So I was super nervous, and I had all of this judgment myself. So I'm the guy teaching people: (laughs) don't prejudge, don't plan ahead too much, like go in with open expectations. And I was sweating it because I was so nervous. And it was to to date of the of the hundreds of events I've done with you know tens of thousands of people in the audience. It is the most cherished experience I had because I had these folks for four hours and I had these guys who were working together some 20, 30 years at this fair and in these very labor-intensive jobs. And they wrote down, like I did, we did the storytelling thing and they were going to do storytelling circles. And they wrote down in a little journal, I gave them little journals like this. They had little journals and they had to write down what was their future story. Like go out a year and write, write a story about your life as if it's happening. And then they had to share it with each other. People were crying, Melissa. One guy, one guy shared a story about, even now it gets me emotional. One guy shared a story about how in a year from now, a year from that event, he would be celebrating three years of sobriety that he knew he wouldn't have gotten to if it hadn't been for the support of the people he worked with because he didn't have any family where he was from. And it was because of the people at work who had supported him. They made it that far. I, they were bawling. Everyone in the room is bawling at this point. And these are guys who don't do this. They don't talk about their feelings. They don't talk about what they dream their life would look like. And what was great is none of them said. None of them blew it off. None of them said, "In a year from now, I won the lottery and I'm rich, living on wherever I want." They took it seriously and they really did it. And I mean, that day in that room with these fifty folks who work in, you know, work at this environment it was really cool to see them connect to the power of storytelling and the power of connecting with each other. And uh, it just remains the most, you know, I've gotten to do a lot of cool stuff, but it remains like the most kind of heart touching, moving experience I've been part of doing this work.
0: Wow. What do you think got them to go so deep like that?
1: You know, what I, what I saw, this goes back to, um, this goes back, actually, I was seeing Leslie, Leslie wrote in here about having created a culture of safety, and that was something that, that she did. She's one of our studio audience members today, and she talked about creating a culture of safety. And one of the things I will say that I saw, and this goes back a little bit to what Melissa said, or uh, uh, Angie said, about uh, modeling the behaviors, that Melissa models the behaviors for this group. The leadership team at this group had created a space where it was okay for them to do that. So mm-hmm. while they, they didn't take the time to do it, while they hadn't been nudged to do it before I came in to work with them, it was a space where they did care about each other, you know? And, and maybe sometimes things got in the way of them realizing that they were all on the same page, but the leadership team there had created this culture of, we do care about each other. We do have each other's back. I mean, some of them have been working together for 20 years. Like there's a lot of tenure in this place. And so they never stopped to do this activity, but the ingredients we needed to do it, they had in spades. They were really thoughtful about who they hired. They were very intentional about how they treated each other. And uh, it kind of primed us for this event.
0: Cool. That's that's the power of culture.
1: Power of culture and the power of story, right? It was really cool to see people doing this. And it's such a cool thing to see, like, these guys journaling for five minutes, you know, and that's for me was the big wake up thing. I said I I, it's you know That happens about an hour into my four-hour workshop And you know, we had done some games and some other stuff and some ideas and things like that and I was like, okay Here we go and I was so nervous because I thought what if they just open it or like Yo, i'm rich in a year and I won the lottery and haha And I just had all of my own stuff that I believed uh, and so when I saw and I walked around the room and I saw people like really doing notes and really writing in narrative format, I was just blown away. And it, it was a good reminder. The teacher learned a lesson there, right? The teacher learned a lesson <laughs> about uh, not judging.
0: That's amazing. I love it. So <laughs> cool. Well, I want to be respectful of your time. And we have one more section here before we get to the the end of our time together, which is something cool. I think you know about my something cool at the end. I I have nodding there.
1: I've listened to lots of people. You warned me ahead of time, but I also knew it because I've listened to the show, Melissa. Oh
0: my gosh, you are so prepared. (laughs) So what did you bring to share? Okay, this
1: is so super practical and pragmatic, but you know, I am a type 1 diabetic. I travel a lot. I'm eating on the go, eating on the run. I'm all over the place. And so I brought like a snack, a favorite little snack that I tote with me. And it is, I just think, delicious. It is called the One Bar. It is the One Bar. And I specifically love the birthday cake flavor. So it's a One Bar. It's got 20 grams of protein, only one gram of sugar. It is delicious. And You know, when I travel even, they have it at like a lot of the airports now and they have it at 7-Eleven, like nationally 7-Eleven carries them. So I can always grab it and uh, it kind of keeps me going on the road when I might reach for something a little less healthy. So I'm in love with the one bar birthday cake flavor. The um, maple donut flavor is also delish.
0: Awesome. (laughs) I love it. That's a fantastic something cool. Well, my something cool, I actually have to get up and reach for it.
1: Oh my goodness.
0: Is this dun, little, da, da, da. Dun, da, da, da. So I've been doing I just started doing IGTV videos and I've been playing around with different different ways of holding my iPhone so that I can do I do, I do doodle cams where I video myself doodling. And it is the
1: number one doodle show on
0: Instagram. It's <laughs> been it's been voted the number one IGTV doodle yeah. show on Instagram yeah. by Mike Ganino. <laughs> <laughs> and this, I love this little gorilla pod that holds my iPhone while I'm doodling.
1: Oh, and interesting. So you It's
0: got this little Or with
1: like a tripod. Right?
0: It's a tripod. It's it's got bendable. You can hear it creaking. It's got little bendable legs that actually you can wrap around something or you can stand on a table or whatever. You can it can actually like wrap around a, you know, I don't know, stairway a bar, I don't know, a bar or something. It's bendable. And it's got a special clamp for a, a smartphone. So it's very handy. And I love that. I just use it for the first time today because my ginormous tripod is just it's just too too much of a pain. So and, and
1: those Instagram TVs are so casual. We need a casual little tripod. We need
0: a casual little tripod and that one is just it's on the wrong side and so it was blocking my vision. Mm. Just like I had to crank my neck to see my doodle. So this is my handy little something cool for this week and I will post a picture and a link where you can find these little Gorillapod iPhone Anywhere tripods that you can pack in. If you have a small enough handbag or purse, you can actually fit it in your purse. So that's my thing for the week. I
1: loved our little theme, Melissa. It was you had the Go Anywhere tripod and I had the Go Anywhere
0: snack. (laughs) We are set to go anywhere now. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Perfect. Well Mike Ganino where can people find you if they want to find you
1: I'm uh, I am easy to find I am uh, I am the Mike Ganino, that is going to come up if you Google Mike Ganino, uh, which is G A N I N O. So if you Google Mike Ganino, I'll come up. I'm uh, at Mike Ganino on all the socials. I'm actually going to be starting a daily series of Instagram TV that I'm calling MG TV, Mike Ganino TV, uh, that'll be all about the different ways we communicate. And so there'll be little daily tips on like communication stuff, some for You know, if you're communicating to an audience, some if you're communicating at work. So that's going to come up soon. So I got to get this tripod you're saying. But if you look me up, Mike Ganino, I'm uh, everywhere that way, MikeGanino.com. And at Amazon, you can find me under Company Culture for Dummies.
0: And it's fantastic. I highly, highly recommend it. Yes. Well, Mike Ganino, thank you for coming on the show and for interacting with the live studio audience. And it is always a pleasure to see you and to chat with you.
1: Thank you so much for having me. And thanks, uh, Leslie and Angie, for tuning in.
0: All right. I'll, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Mike. Bye. That's it. That's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Mike Ganino. Let me know if you resonated. And connect with me over on LinkedIn or direct message me over on Instagram. And thank you so much for joining with me today. If you are getting value out of this podcast, share it with a friend and hop on over to iTunes, the Apple podcast player, and leave a rating and review, not just to stroke my ego, although I love getting great reviews, but really the reason to do that is to help other people find the show. Because when people do a search for new podcasts, podcasts that have more good reviews pop up higher in the search results. So when you leave a rating and most importantly, a sentence or two of a review, it really makes a difference in helping other people find the show. And if you email me to let me know that you left a review and how the podcast has made a difference in your life, that's how you can apply to be considered for the listener spotlight. If I pick you, we'll have a really fun, relaxed conversation, and you'll get to be featured on the podcast. How cool is that? So that is it. Until next time, thanks again for joining me. go get Mm creative. Subscribe at creativesandboxway.com slash podcast.